fellow ag nerds. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week I talk to the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. One guiding question I've had for the podcast here lately as I think through the rest of 2021 is, what can agricultural innovation do to help the smallholder farmer? I mean, we talk about the types of technologies that are geared towards larger operations, with me being in North America. But what's out there that has the potential to really improve the lives of small farmers, especially those in developing countries? Well, we have a really interesting example of one of those innovations here on the show today. Weather Risk Management Services is an India-based company that collects data to help producers manage their risk. The company started as offering just crop insurance products, which is still a big part of their business. But they've also expanded into products that incentivize and reward farmers for using certain risk management strategies. In other words, a farmer will pay a premium and agree to certain farming practices. And in return, they're provided with a guaranteed yield and paid if their yield drops below that threshold. Now, this obviously helps take away the risk of adopting new practices, and it helps farmers focus on those things that they can control while having some downside protection against those that they can't control. If you remember from the previous episodes I've done with Dan Cosgrove of Growers Edge, there's a lot of similarities here in reducing the risk of new technologies. Just in this case, for the show today, it's more targeting management practices of these primarily smallholder farmers. Their approach combines a variety of data sources and local experts that serve the farmers and the communities in which they operate. The company Weather Risk Management Services has worked now with over 30,000 farmers in India already and hopes to grow that to 1 million farmers in the next five years. So in today's episode, I'll speak with founder Sonu Agrawal. First, though, I want to make sure you know that one of my favorite ag podcasts, Fieldwork, is back for an all-new season. Co-hosts Mitchell Hora and Zach Johnson, who you probably remember from episode 205 last year, are back to talk all things sustainable ag. This season, they'll tackle financing farm innovation, carbon markets, new sustainability standards in crops like cotton, and so much more. They're also doing a special focus on Washington County, Iowa, where Mitchell lives and farms, which has a very strong conservation culture. What's the special sauce? Well, listen and find out. Episodes drop weekly on Wednesdays, and you can find them at fieldworktalk.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, guys, for supporting this show, and best of luck with the new season. Okay, once again, we have on the show Sonu Agrawal, founder and managing director of Weather Risk Management Services. I'm going to drop you into the conversation now where Sonu is talking about his unexpected turn from math and physics into ag tech. I'm a physics postgraduate and uh, of course I had an inclination towards doing something which uses technology, uh, which uses my maths and physics background. So that was there in the back of my mind, but in the wildest dreams, I never thought that I'll venture into ag tech. It just simply happened that I landed up in an insurance company. I was given this assignment to design products for farmers. And somewhere I could see, you know, uh, this weather insurance product could use my abilities, my maths background and my technology background. And uh, it appealed to me that we could do something worthwhile for the farmers. That was the genesis of, we never dreamt of it. 
So is this for the farmers or is this for the insurance company? You know, it's both. But first and foremost, you know, whose problem are you solving? It, it is the farmer's problem. You know, so we saw that the farmers were grappling with uh, losses due to weather. And so the first product we designed was targeted towards the farmers. But of course, we realized that we had to create an ecosystem, which meant that we needed to involve the insurance companies also because they had to write the contract. We had to spend substantial amount of time in educating and preparing the insurance companies also to write such contracts. But the focus always has been the farmer. And the problem you're solving for the farmer, is this going to get them more access to insurance or just an easier process? Explain that in more detail. So in many developing countries and you know, since 2004, I've worked not only in India, but uh, several countries in Asia and Africa. There is a very low or no access to crop insurance contracts. And since there is no crop insurance, access to finance is also a big challenge because banks do not lend money to small farmers. The banks are not covered against losses due to adverse weather events. So there is a complete lack of access to crop insurance. Of course, over time it has improved, but still it's very low. And because of this, there is lack of access to finance. So our product basically tries to you know, fill this gap. It provides an access to insurance, affordable insurance, that is one. But that insurance also, the way the contract has been designed and it has evolved over a period of time, I mean, there is a 17 years of work that has gone into it. So it is an insurance, but it incentivizes the farmer to use better risk management practices. So the way it, it is designed is that if the farmer is, for example, using drought-tolerant seeds, or if he's irrigating his field, either he will get a discount in premiums for the crop insurance contract, or he would get a more sum insured. For example, you know, we buy car insurance, vehicle insurance. So if we drive safely, you know, the insurance companies give us some bonus. They could give us some premium discounts, or they could give us some freebies or a higher sum insured. Similarly, in crop insurance, the, what we do is if the farmer is using better risk management practices and there is a way to track it, that's the real innovation that we can track at the small farmer level what risk management practices he is undertaking. And according to the risk management practices he's undertaking, he gets either a premium discount or a higher sum insured in the crop, crop insurance contract. Uh, there are not different designs. So in some crop insurance contracts, we cover the yields of, you know, of the farmer, the yield we would get. So if the farmer follows good practices, he would get a higher assured yield. You know, a normal farmer could get, let's say, four tons per uh, hectare, and he could be given that yield assurance. But if the farmer is using better practices, he could be given a yield assurance of 4.5 tons per, per hectare. So that's the idea. So A, to give better access to insurance, but the way the insurance has been designed is to promote uh, better risk management practices so that the, the premiums can become more affordable for the farmer. 
are they buying this through their current insurance agent or are you the insurance agency? No, right now it is us. It is us. So as I said, there is lack of access to crop insurance. Okay, uh, So the government program also is given through the banks and you know, it's available only for those farmers who are availing credit from the bank. So it's not like uh, a regular life insurance even in rural areas in India, you will find a life insurance agent, uh, you know, but a crop insurance agent is uh, very rare. So it, today it is us who are reaching out to the farmers through our various channels and, and trying to uh, sell these products. And how, how do you validate the practices as far as, you know, is it uh, kind of on the honor system? They tell you what they're doing and you kind of calculate accordingly or you know, I'm, I'm curious about how you make sure the data that goes in is good. Yeah. So several factors, for example, whether the farmer has applied irrigation or whether he has applied minimum nutrition uh, can be verified using uh, satellite data. So through various uh, satellite-based, satellite and drone-based indices, we can assess the soil moisture level in the field. Of course, we have the weather stations uh, in a village which records the rainfall, temperature, humidity. So if, for example, the soil moisture of the field is good and there has been no rain, it means it implies that the farmer has applied irrigation. So that much bonus uh, accrues to, to the farmer. Likewise, using satellite indices uh, like leaf area index, and there are various vegetative indices you can estimate what is the nitrogen nutrition level in the crop so you could estimate whether the farmer has applied the right nutrition or not other things for example whether the farmer has used uh, preventive biopesticides in the field to take care of the pest and diseases uh, there are two ways we have mechanized machines which spray these biopesticides and we fit a tracker in these machines. So if this machine enters the farmer's field, which is georeferenced, we have the geocoordinates of those fields. And if this vehicle, the spraying vehicle has entered the field, then we know that the chemical has been applied. For many small farmers, you know, at times it's not possible for us to send these vehicles uh, to the field. So the farmers have a smartphone application or our field teams have a smartphone application. And while the farmer is spraying the crop or using these preventive biopesticides, a picture or a video is taken. And each of these picture or video is a time and geocoordinate stamped so that we know that this particular process has been undertaken in the field which we are targeting. And that is uploaded. So for the more important things in the production process, uh, either using satellite, drones, or pictures through smartphone applications, we have a process to track whether the farmers have undertaken those, those important uh, steps. And once it is verified that the farmer has undertaken a particular step, so there is a, a incentive matrix uh, in the contract which is given to the farmer. So if he has irrigated the crop well, so uh, there is a 5% let's say bonus. So his assured yield goes up by that much amount. Likewise, if he has not undertaken a particular practice, there is a small penalty we also keep so that the farmer is, you know, incentivized to, to undertake those practices. And all of those practices are designed for optimal yield? 
Yes. So before we enter a village, a lot of analysis is done. So we have, fortunately, many countries, at least in India and several other countries, we have some some historical yield data and uh, there is uh, weather data. So you can do your analysis. There are various crop modeling frameworks now for crops. So you can see, okay, you can analyze using those frameworks uh, why the yield has been suboptimal. Is it because of environmental factors? Or is it because of nutritional deficiency in the crop or because of frequent pest and disease attacks? So we analyze and then identify the more important risks or or the factors which have resulted in suboptimized yield. And then the whole production process, what we call the package of practices, is designed in such a way so that we can improve the yields gradually. It is those important factors uh, which are given a weightage in the in the insurance contracts. So the more critical factors, the more weightage is, is given to those those factors in the insurance contract while giving incentives and yeah. And it seems difficult for me to grasp the concept that you can truly calculate the crop loss without going and estimating it in person. You know, I mean I know you have weather stations, but inevitably, it would seem to me you're going to get the situation where, you know, a farmer says, you know, I know that's what your data says, but on my farm, it's worse. So how do you handle that? Uh, You're very right, uh, Tim. So what we do is initially in the villages, uh, when we, you know, we first start, we give the farmer, let's say 10 or 15 days before the harvest, we give him an estimate of the yield in in the farm. That we say that according to us, uh, let's say this is the yield and it is more or less than what was promised or what was guaranteed in the insurance contract. And we ask the farmer whether he agrees that the estimated yield would be in at that level. If there is an agreement, then we settle the, the insurance contract using that estimate. But in case uh, the farmer disagrees, or if even if we feel initially, uh, you know, we are a little conservative. So if we feel that the estimated yield is very close to the guaranteed yield, and there is a possibility that uh, our yield estimate could be marginally wrong, and and the farmer could you know uh, get a compensation. So we do then what we call a crop cutting experiment in the field. Uh, we say that look, we'll come to your field. There is a process to you know, uh, do a crop cutting experiment. It doesn't mean that we have to completely estimate or do a full harvesting of the crop. We'll pick uh, randomly selected sections in the farm and do a a crop cutting experiment in those sections and estimate the yield using that. And that would be uh, used to settle the contract finally. So in order to give more confidence to the farmer and also to test our models we have this provision in the contract that in case there is a disagreement or there is a feeling that there could be an error in the crop yield estimate based on models, we'll come to the farm and do a crop cutting experiment. And from our experience following this process, we have had out of, let's say, 30,000 farmers covered so far, there would have been hardly three or four disputes. Wow, that's incredible. And 30,000 so far. Yes, That's great. And talk about how the farmer pays. I know you mentioned earlier that financing can be very difficult in in developing countries for smallholder farmers. And so are they paying this premium up front or is there any sort of arrangement that allows them to, you know, to help with their cash flow? Primarily so far, 
the farmers have paid on their own. Initially, they start with smaller contracts where the fees could be in the order of, let's say, uh, something like 10 to $20 per acre. Okay. So they start with smaller contracts because there is a trust deficit in the beginning. They want to test out the services. And then gradually, we have cases where they have paid up to, uh, say, something like $100 per hectare of land as, as the fees for these services. We also uh, make arrangements with various agriculture input companies, procurement companies. In some cases, these companies, because they also have a stake in the agricultural ecosystem in, in an area, they also want the farmers to be using better technologies, having some kind of security in case of adverse weather events, because it, help, it, it also, in case a farmer loses his crop, the procurement company's supply chain also gets affected. So sometimes these companies also chip in and they also contribute to the premium or the fees of the contract. But I would say 90% of, of all our farmers, they are paying on their own without any subsidy from the government. And remaining 20%, there will be some contribution from other agriculture stakeholders like the input companies or the procurement companies. So this is how it is uh, done so far. And how many of those 30,000 farmers would you estimate, or maybe you know, had insurance before or are getting insurance for the first time because of your technology? I would say uh, the farmers have experienced or have taken some kind of insurance contract in the past. At least 75% of them would have taken. So there is in India a government-sponsored insurance scheme called the Prime Minister's Insurance Scheme, which is a subsidized crop insurance scheme. And any farmer who takes a loan or credit from the government-affiliated banks, they are automatically covered in that scheme. A part of the loan amount is kept aside for the payment of that insurance premium, and it is heavily subsidized. So many farmers involuntarily subscribe to that product. So they have some kind of access to insurance, at least those who are taking loans uh, from the banks. And that scheme started a few years back in 2015. So many farmers have taken some kind of insurance contract, but it's a little different contract. It settles at a village level, you know. So if it tracks the crop status at the village as a whole, and if the village level yields are likely to be lower, lower than a defined level, then everyone in the village gets a compensation. So it's a village level area yield index, as we call it. But it does not track the status of the crop at the individual farmer's level. So it's a little, uh, what you call, uh, index approach at a village level. And farmers are not particularly very, very satisfied with that contract. And that's the reason why uh, many of the growers who think that they are using better practices and they should be getting higher yields and the government-defined yield level is not something which they find attractive. They, they then buy our products. Maybe if you could share an example or just a generality either way of the type of impact this can have on a farmer. So the access to this product will do what? You know, I know you said like 80% or so are already on this government type program. Um, and so for 20%, you're giving them access to something they didn't even have before. But I mean, just in general, 
What impact does this have on the lives of an average farmer in India? Right. I'll give you an example from our work in uh, eastern part of India, where there are small farmers who grow potato, very small farmers. Okay. And uh, these farmers, you know, have very suboptimal yields, uh, like they would be getting two tons per hectare yield for potato, which is way below the national average. I'm not even talking about the developed countries, the yields in developed countries. Now, one of the reasons why the yields were so low was that the farmers were very small and they were uh, doing suboptimal practices, you know, not applying nutrition, very, very infrequent uh, irrigation, lack of use of biopesticides. Now, one of the challenge was that they felt that if they did all that, all the all the recommended practices, their investment increases. You know, they had to uh, spend something like uh, hundred to hundred fifty dollars more, and they were not sure that if I do this, if I make this investment, hundred to hundred fifty dollars more, whether the yields which I get. Uh, would be sufficient to recover this increased cost of investment. There's always this dilemma because what could happen is that they do everything right, but there could be a pest attack or a disease attack which will completely wipe out the crop or there could be an unseasonal rain uh, or inundation. So you're never sure, you know, as, as a small farmer, 100 to $150 is a very high amount. And if you're not sure uh, what could be the outcome one hesitates in, in uh, undertaking such investments. So what this product did was, we, once we, when we started back in 2016 in those villages, that we assured them that, look, if you do this, do all the recommended practices, I'll guarantee you something like an increase in yields. Let's say their baseline yield was about, as I said, two tons uh, per hectare. We said that we will guarantee you 2.5 tons per hectare. And that increase 0.5 tons was sufficient uh, to recover uh, the increased investment. You know, so this contract basically gave them an assurance that look, if I use the right practices, these guys are assuring me a yield of uh, 2.5 tons, which is enough to recover my investment. And gradually over a period of time, the same set of farmers now are having an average yield. The baseline yield was about 2 tons per hectare. Now they are clocking somewhere around 2.5, 2.7 tons per hectare. And in between, there have been losses to crops because of disasters, uh, weather events, pest and disease attacks. And in such cases, compensation has come from the insurance companies, giving the farmers the liquidity to try once more in the next season. Because of this contract, they had the liquidity to ride through the crop losses and keep having faith in technology that look, if I keep doing this, I will achieve 2.5 tons. This is what we have been uh, successful in doing, you know. So this is this is basically that incentive or an assurance to the farmer that look, if you follow better practices, you will reach there. Your incomes will improve, and there will be no uh, shocks in the process. Uh, that was a great example. Yeah, that that was exactly what I was looking for. So thank you on that. What if they don't know how to use the practices and technologies that you're recommending, you know, because they, they never have before? 
Yeah, so there is very intense training program in the beginning. So as I mentioned earlier that there are two people who are assigned to a village. These people, you know, there are three training sessions during the, the crop season and it covers the various practices they have to follow. There are pamphlets and brochures given. There are webinars which are organized for the last one year. We found that there is a way to reach out to the farmers through an online way to reach, reach out to the farmers where our experts train them online and it's far easier to do that. But there is a very intense training program uh, which is undertaken. So the farmers are educated on these better practices, but there is a learning curve. I won't claim that this happens in the first season. It almost takes our experiences that it takes, say, three to four seasons to win the trust of the farmers so that they, they feel confident that, look, uh, we can adopt these practices which are being recommended. And after three or four seasons, it becomes more easier to convince the farmers. And once a minimum set of farmers are convinced in a village, then it propagates very faster. It's very easy to convince other farmers there. And how do you get that local knowledge? I mean, obviously, you know, there, there's agronomic information out there about potatoes, but not maybe necessarily growing potatoes in the eastern part of India. Um, how do you cultivate that, that local knowledge to make sure that what you're recommending actually fits that specific region? Yeah, so there are a lot of uh, baseline surveys which are done. So, say, for example, getting information on the soil environment, water table, water resources, that's far more easier for any village. But getting to know what the farmers are doing right now, what practices they are doing, the logic behind it, why they are not undertaking certain things which are very so obvious to us. Like we could say that, look, they should be spraying three or four times in the crop season to take care of pest and diseases. But farmers don't. But to get into their skin and understand why they are not doing it. So there are baseline surveys which are done. So, so that helps us learning, but a lot of learning happens on the way. I, I won't claim that we learn everything and then move, but a lot of learning happens in the first two seasons when we experiment with the farmers, do smaller contracts. So that, that knowledge gets assimilated into our system. Let's say, for example, in each season when we run a contract, we do a detailed analysis, what went wrong. We track the yields of each farmer. Uh, we have through our platform, we know what practices they have undertaken. We have the weather information. So then again, an analysis is run that what went wrong and how can these things be improved. And we then try the new product, you know, the improved product in the next next season. So there is a lot of iterative learning, uh, which is also part of the process. And it sounds like kind of your big you know, competition, for lack of a better word, is the government program, right? It looks like that way, but it is not. The government really wants to give a a social security, you know, product. So say, for example, if there is big disasters in the area, in a village, which affects the whole population of the village, then those insurance products pay claims. So it's more kind of a disaster insurance, which is in place. Whereas the farmers uh, whom we are targeting, they are growing commercial crops, they want more higher yields, while they need a social security, uh, but they need higher yields and a protection of yields at a higher level than what the government guarantees. So I do not think that there is a competition as such. Maybe there are some features in our product we are trying that, you know, the government product itself incorporates those features and that way it can be made scalable in a much faster way. And we could provide the technology assistance to implement such contracts to the government also.
So I think uh, we can synergize with the government programs. One thing it seems like I've picked up in in other developing countries is that, um, and maybe this is true in India or not, you can tell me, but is that, you know, in a certain community, there may be just a couple farmers that are really keeping good track of, you know, good accounting. They're really putting data to their process in, you know, just in keeping basic accounting. And they're always the ones that are faring better, it would seem. Is part of this that you're kind of bringing data to some farmers that maybe didn't see the point before? Yes, this is happening indirectly. You're very right. So farmers are smart. They know what they're doing, you know. But like many of us, they don't maintain data very uh, methodically, very accurately. And a lot of insights can be gathered from the data you keep in a methodical way. And there are a lot of things which they don't know. So say, for example, climate forecasts, or they have very, what you call a a recent memory. Okay, they would remember exactly what happened two to three years back. But let's say events which have happened 10 years back or 15 years back in their father's time, they lose relevance. These memories fade away. But through modern data management, uh, you can get insights, the past data, and help the farmers in in taking better decisions. So naturally, this is uh, happening, and that's an advantage which is accruing to the farmers. Great. Well, what's your roadmap look like? You know, what's coming next for your company? Thirty thousand farmers is a lot, but I know there's like a hundred million or something in, in India. What do things look like for you next? What are the next benchmarks you're hoping to hit? Yeah. So still, the technology needs a lot of improvement to track each farmer. There are multiple crops, there are multiple situations. So what we're learning is that it will take a little time to customize the technology for different situations, different crops, different regions. So we have a target to reach about 1 million farmers in the next uh, five years in 3,000 villages. India is a big country, uh, but we are not that ambitious. <laughs> we, we, we have uh, uh, limited uh, targets right now. The technology also needs a lot of improvement. There are things we will learn over a period of time. Whether our portfolio remains profitable or not in adverse weather conditions is also need to be tested. So so in the next five years, our target is to reach uh, 1 million farmers in India. In a few other countries, uh, we have small projects going on, which is uh, which are being sponsored by donor agencies. We are experimenting and uh, hopefully we will demonstrate the concept in these countries in the next five years. We'll see then how it progresses. One thing that I just thought of based on what you just said about severe weather, optimizing for yield this year is not always the same as optimizing for resiliency. And so how are you approaching that to make sure that the farmers not only getting the optimal yield, you know, in any given year, but are also building resiliency in their cropping systems for, you know, a changing weather? You know, again, the well, when we do the risk analysis, when we do the feasibility studies for a village, the more important risks, say, if the village is more prone to drought or floods, this is uh, understood. And accordingly, the package of practices are designed. So say, for example, in drought-prone regions, we give more incentives if the farmers are uh, sowing drought-resistant seeds or if they are building small water reservoirs for uh, irrigation. So incentives are given for that. Or if they're using drip, uh, they're given given more incentives. Likewise, in flood-prone areas, again, a lot of emphasis is given on better drainage. 
because we feel that if the drainage is improved, the flood risks can be managed. And here we then collaborate with the local government officials. So in India, there is a very popular uh, rural development program which goes on, which emphasizes on building uh, the rural infrastructure. So we collaborate with uh, the rural development department and highlight that, look, these are the problems in this area. And we present that whole information on a GIS platform to them. So it becomes easier for them also to look at the problem from a bird's eye view. They have an understanding, okay, look, these are the sections of the village which need better drainage. There is uh, silt in these canals and these need to be desilted. So they, we give them a kind of a overview and a plan of action. And they also cooperate with us in, in this process. So these uh, resilience uh, measures are built in the production process of the planning for each village. Okay. And do you have any sort of uh, estimation? And I know this is going to vary wildly, but, you know, these 30,000 farmers that you've worked with so far, what percent on average increase in productivity might they see? Or do you have kind of a benchmark overall of a certain percent increase in productivity? First year, 5 or 7% if we are lucky. Not easy at all. Not easy at all. And uh, because in crop growth, there is so much which happens between the plant and the environment where we have no control, you know. Uh, and it also takes time to uh, educate the farmer. First year, 7%, 5 to 7% will be a good good achievement. Second year, 10 to 12% on an average. Third year, about 20% on an average. There are places where we have achieved, uh, say, something like 40%, but that is primarily because of using better seed varieties, improving irrigation. But that could be an exceptional case. If you look at the overall average across areas, uh, then it it's more moderate. The progress is uh, slower, 5 to 7% first year, 10 to 12 second year, and then 15 to 20. That would be a more achievable target on a large scale. Great. Well, I really appreciate this, Sonu. I, I mean, this has been uh, in- enjoyable for me. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before I let you go? Last statement I would like to make is that we are still learning. I wouldn't claim that we have succeeded it's a, it's a process. Uh, we'll learn and we'll, we'll see what happens in the next five years. Thanks so much to Sonu Agrawal from Weather Risk Management Services for being on the show. I encourage you to go learn more about what they're doing over at www.wrmsglobal.com. That's for Weather Risk Management Services, wrmsglobal.com. For those of you who don't already know, I've started writing a weekly email newsletter this year. In that, you'll get some of my personal thoughts about the future of agriculture that I don't always share on this show. And I also try to feature at least one new ag-related product every week and a highlight from the latest podcast episode. You can subscribe to join that email newsletter at futureofag.com. There's going to be an email icon right there in the middle of the page. Just click on that and add yourself to the list. Thanks again to the Fieldwork Podcast for their support on this episode. Subscribe to that show on your podcast player or at fieldwork.org. Most of all, thank you for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Ag innovation.